Mayo Clinic Radio presents a conversation about childhood cancer awareness with Mayo Clinic pediatric oncologist, Dr. Carola Arndt. The show hosts are Dr. Sanj Kakar and Tracy McRae. This podcast was recorded on September 19th, 2016. Welcome back to Mayo Clinic Radio. I'm Dr. Sanj Kakar. And I'm Tracy McRae. A cancer diagnosis is upsetting at any age, but especially so when the patient is a child. According to the National Institutes of Health, it's been estimated that over 15,000 new cases of cancer will be diagnosed among children in the United States this year. Worldwide, that's more than 250,000 children will be diagnosed with a pediatric cancer. That's almost 700 kids each day. Man, that's a big number. Although pediatric cancer deaths have declined by nearly 70% over the past four decades, cancer remains the leading cause of death from disease among children. September is Childhood Cancer Awareness Month, and here to discuss the topic is Dr. Carola Arndt. Dr. Arndt is a pediatric hematologist-oncologist and the principal investigator for Children's Oncology Group at Mayo Clinic. Welcome to the program, Dr. Arndt. It's nice to meet you. Thank you. Good to be here. It's just the most terrible topic, the saddest thing, children getting cancer, and luckily the rates seem to be declining, or are they accelerating? Well, the rates are probably approximately the same as they've been. We do have, as part of the Children's Oncology Group research, something called a Childhood Cancer Research Network, which is an attempt by the cooperative group, the Children's Oncology Group, to get information and create a database of every child under age 21 diagnosed with cancer in the United States to be able to determine just that, whether in fact the incidence of cancer is increasing or decreasing. You'll, you'll hear sometimes that someone was diagnosed with a childhood cancer, <laughs> even if they're an adult. Are there specific cancers that are indeed just childhood cancers? Or are there Can adults be diagnosed with those types of cancers, or what makes it a childhood cancer, I guess? So certain kinds of childhood cancer are, or certain types of cancer in children are most commonly seen in children, but can indeed be seen in adults. For example, neuroblastoma is typically thought of as a childhood cancer. However, adults can get neuroblastoma. It's much, much rarer in adults, but they can get it. Similarly, There are certain tumors, in particular bone tumors, like osteosarcoma or Ewing sarcoma, which are commonly seen in teenagers and young adults, but they can also happen when they're in their 20s or 30s. So Dr. Arndt, as a a parent of young children, cancer is the last thing I'm ever thinking about when I I see my kids. But parents out there, what, what are the sort of typical signs and symptoms that should alert them at the back of their mind that something untoward may be going on? Well, there's no one particular sign or symptom that should bring up the diagnosis or thought of cancer. In contrast to adult cancers that, for example, appear in the breast or colon or prostate, childhood cancer, even certain kinds of cancer, can appear in lots of different areas in the body. Uh, The most common form of childhood cancer is leukemia, and leukemia often presents as uh, persistent fevers or pallor or bruising or swollen lymph nodes, but sort of vague, nonspecific symptoms. And that's not the first thing a pediatrician thinks about when a pediatrician sees a child with fever. But unexplained fever, unexplained joint pains make you think about, that last for a while, make you think about something more serious, such as cancer. 
for bone tumors, and my area of interest and expertise is bone tumors and sarcomas, and a lot of times these are considered to be so-called sports tumors because teenagers are often very active in sports, and it's perfectly normal for a normal child to have an injury or a sprain or a strain. And I would say that if pain from a strain or a strain doesn't go away with conservative management after a couple of weeks, then you need to start thinking about more sinister and serious causes such as cancer. So I would say unexplained symptoms um, or, for example, weight loss, fevers, night sweats, lumps, bumps, those kinds of things. Is there because there are so many different types of cancer that there can be from top to bottom, I guess, you know, when it comes to children with kidney cancer, you know, whatever, bone uh, sarcomas, like you mentioned, is there a certain cause of cancer in children? Is it more likely to be a genetic issue? So most of the time, there's really no explanation as to why a child gets cancer. It's just one of those freak random things. And I often when I meet a family, one of the first things I make sure that they understand is that it's, there's nothing they did or didn't do that caused their child's cancer, which I think is very important. In terms of genetic causes, there are there is a particular syndrome called Lee-Fromini syndrome, which is a fami- familial cancer syndrome, which the classic syndrome is cancer diagnosed in two first-degree relatives prior to the age of 45. In those typical cancers, the typical sort of classic case is a child with rhabdomyosarcoma whose mother might have had breast cancer diagnosed at a very very early age, or osteosarcoma and breast cancer. So there are families that do have a predisposition to get cancer. There are certain cancers that do show up, as I mentioned, osteosarcoma, rhabdomyosarcoma, breast cancer. There are also other more rare kinds of syndromes that can predispose to childhood cancer. But most childhood cancer is not considered to be genetic. Now, given the advances that we read about every day in in cancer, are there any new um, treatments on the horizon that you can talk to us about? Well, that's such a broad question. Um, Certainly, immunotherapy is a hot topic. CAR T-cells for refractory leukemia are things that are being investigated. Probably one of the most striking advances that have been made has been immunotherapy in high-risk neuroblastoma. Uh, So we are exploring new agents, new chemotherapy drugs, but also new approaches such as immunotherapies. Why is it that children get neuroblastoma more than adults? Probably because neuroblastoma is considered to be one of those tumors that one could call an embryonal tumor, which <clears throat> excuse me, arises from so-called embryonal rests in the body that are there at the time of birth and something just goes awry. And the immunology is something on the horizon, a bright spot on the horizon mm-hmm. for children with neuroblastoma, correct? Explain a little bit more. So one of the recent studies that actually led to approval of a drug that was specifically developed for treatment of children with neuroblastoma, there's a drug called dinatuximab, which is an antibody specifically directed against the neuroblastoma cells when given in conjunction with other drugs that stimulate the immune system 
we did a randomized trial in the children's oncology group, which demonstrated that those patients treated with very aggressive therapy plus immune therapy, specifically including the denatuximab, had a significantly improved survival rate, an event-free survival rate and better outcome than patients that did not receive the denatuximab. So that's very, very exciting, and that led to approval of that drug by the FDA this year. So Dr. Arndt Mither, matter of fact, since 1980, only three drugs have been developed specifically for pediatric cancers. That's not very many. Is that a myth or is that a fact? That's actually a fact. Wow. There, the three drugs <clears throat> have been the denatuximab that I mentioned previously, which is the antibody to treat uh, neuroblastoma, clofarabine, which was specifically developed for treatment of recurrent childhood lymphoblastic leukemia, and erwinase, uh, which is a form of asparaginase used to treat children with leukemia, specifically who are allergic to the standard form, which is E. coli asparaginase. It doesn't seem like that's, that, that's not a lot of advances in since 1980. Why such a shortage of it, or is it a shortage? Well, the problem is that, as we've mentioned earlier, childhood cancer is relatively rare compared to cancer in adults. And so it's really not on the priority of industry to develop drugs specifically for the indication of pediatric cancers. Most drugs that we use in pediatric oncology are not specifically FDA approved for treatment of a particular childhood cancer. They get approved for adult cancers first and then we use them to treat childhood cancers. So we certainly have drugs. They were not developed specifically for childhood cancer like the three drugs that we mentioned. Now the, the good part is that Congress passed a law a number of years ago called the Best Pharmaceuticals for Children Act, which was an act that allows drug companies to have six months additional of exclusivity before the drug goes to market and is the, the patent is expiring and allowed to be marketed by other drug companies if they do studies in children. And so that was, that was something that was a glimmer of hope in drug development for children that if the industry or drug company decides or agrees to develop the drug for children or look for a childhood indication, they get an additional six months of exclusivity. So given these medications, <clears throat> are they freely available or are they best uh, administered in, for example, cancer centers in the country? So it's important, it's in the best interest of the child, I think, for them to be treated at a cancer center or at a place that has access to randomized clinical trials, which is really what have significantly improved the outcome of pediatric cancers over the years. And to be a center that's a member of a cooperative group or has a cancer center and pediatric oncologists with expertise in treating children with cancer, you also have to have the multidisciplinary team available, which includes not only pediatric oncologists, but pediatric surgeons, pediatric urologists, child life, um, specialized orthopedic surgeons with expertise in treating cancer, and the whole gamut of subspecialty care 
and subspecialty providers that are able to deliver the highly specialized care that these children need. I would have to think, though, that for children uh, as, a, as a group of patients, whether it's chemotherapy or radiation or immunotherapy, the lasting effects of some of that treatment might be more detrimental to children than to an adult. Is that true or not? Yes, that's very true. In fact, when you treat a five-year-old, and we treat obviously with the intent to cure, that child will hopefully have 70 years, 80 years of life ahead of them, as opposed to treating a 75-year-old who may only have five or 10 or 15 years. So we're very cognizant of the long-term effects, which sometimes can be substantial in these children. In fact, there are currently approximately 375,000 adult survivors of childhood cancer in the United States. And it's been estimated that somewhere between one in 530 adults aged 20 to 39 are survivors of childhood cancer. So it's not unusual for an internal medicine physician or a family practice doctor to see an adult survivor of childhood cancer in their practice. Then they need to be prepared to know what kinds of long-term side effects these patients are potentially susceptible to developing. For example, one of the most active drugs that we use is a drug called adriamycin, and which belongs to the class of drugs called anthracyclines, which can cause significant effects on the heart down the road. Certainly some of the treatments we use can cause impaired fertility. Some of them can cause neurocognitive effect or skeletal effects or even propose or even uh, predispose to other malignancies. So these are things that we try to make the patients aware of and monitor for and both the patients and the physicians caring for them need to be aware of the significant potential for long-term effects. You're the principal investigator for the Children's Oncology Group. I didn't even know about this group until we booked you as a guest. So tell me a little bit about that group. What do you do? So the Children's Oncology Group is a cooperative group which seeks to improve the cure rate and lessen the long-term side effects as well as understand the causes of and develop better treatment modalities and um, basically do everything surrounding improving the cure rate for children with cancer. The Children's Oncology Group is a group of approximately, gosh, it's over 200 institutions, both in the United States and we have some uh, members of the COG in other countries, Australia, New Zealand, um, other other countries in the world also, but mainly in the United States and Canada. We have randomized trials, we have phase two and phase one um, experimental treatment, drug treatment trials. We have epidemiology trials. Those are trials looking at the causes of childhood cancer. Um, And it's just very exciting, the advances that have been made through cooperative group trials in curing so many children with cancer. So given this collaboration, has that helped in generating funding for these uh, trials? So it funding is always an issue. There's never enough funding is the bottom line. Is there ways that children or the parents of these children can get the kids involved in clinical trials if they're at a hospital where that's not an option? Should they travel or should they ask their physicians, can we do this here? How does that work? 
So in order to be involved in a clinical trial, the patient does need to be seen and treated at an institution where that clinical trial is in fact open and available. And is the funding for pediatric cancer research hopefully growing? Is that growing as well? Well, unfortunately, the funding has been flat for a number of years now. And obviously, we're trying to get philanthropic organizations, and at the risk of omitting a few, (laughs) I won't mention any, but there are certainly excellent philanthropic organizations, but the money is certainly never enough, and the funding has been, unfortunately, flat. And that's the reason why you have Childhood Cancer Awareness Month, so we can talk about that. We've been talking about the importance of research and clinical trials in fighting childhood cancer with pediatric hematologist and oncologist Dr. Corolla Arndt. Thank you for joining us, Dr. Arndt. Thank you for having me. Thank you. For the latest in health and medical news, go to newsnetwork.mayoclinic.org.